this, uh, it's for sure, this conference is known for there's no rest, is there? We're just like pounding it away. And, uh, and then you got a speaker that actually doesn't care about the clock, so, you know, it's worse for you, not so bad for me. We're going to talk, Lord willing, about worship in the New Testament assembly, and I'm going to talk about three events in the Bible that illustrate three different aspects of the heart that should go into worship. And I like these to be to the New Testament, New Testament assembly, but realize they begin personally. Now, where have we been so far? The answer to that is, is here. We've been where the Father seeks true worshipers. He seeks a certain type of worshiper. He seeks worshipers, number one. He seeks a true worshiper, number two. He must be worshipped that way. Remember, we learned that it ought to worship is the phrase. Uh, I didn't say this, but in Revelation chapter 22, remember John twice in, verse, in chapter 19 and in 22, uh, John is getting uh, information from the angel and he falls down at its feet, his feet to worship. And he says, what are you doing? Worship God. In other words, he was redirected on those occasions. And so we have a real priority for worship there. There's some importance some importances, important things to remember that worship is done in service, as we alluded to in Romans 12:1 and Philippians 3:3. 3, 3, not just song or not just words. Service is involved. It involves a sense of sacrifice, of yes, praise and thanksgiving, in Hebrews 13:15, and even in good, doing good and sharing. So there's a real service element, uh, but we also find that worship will involve all facets of the assembly. I haven't mentioned much about this yet, but when you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you notice that there were four general spheres of focus. They are and were the following. Apostles' doctrine, so that would be the teaching of God's Word. Uh, prayer, the communion with God. Fellowship, that would be, of course, sharing in common, and not just a meal, although that's a big part of it, uh, sharing together our struggles, our weaknesses, our successes, sharing together our possessions. Our brother did that today. I said, John, Janet's not feeling well. Is it, is it all right if she comes later? Absolutely. Have her take our car. I said, the 15-passenger minivan? He said, no. <laughs> the regular minivan. Oh, okay. He's, I did, I did mention she had 15 tickets in the last year. I was exaggerating. <laughs> when she shakes her head at me, that means you're over the top. <laughs> Quali- Can I tell you a story? It'll take like three seconds. Okay. So one day I'm at home and I said to Janet, I said, you know, I was, I'm taking a class here or there. And I said, Janet, I think I'd like to get my Ph.D., now, she's been married to me for a long time, been through every board exam ever known to mankind. She puts down her, her dish rag and she says, PhD, I'll give you a PhD. And she punches my arm. She says, pound here daily. I think that was a no. And so, <laughs> and my son, my 15-year-old son, he's, it cracks up, you know. And so about two weeks later, I'm in the kitchen again, and I'm doing what every husband does. We tease our wives. And I'm teasing her. And little Patrick, he goes, he's wiping the table. <laughs> I said, what's so funny? You're about to get another PhD. <laughs> so when she shakes her head, I'm over the top. Okay. 
Where were we? Oh, yeah. Worship involves those facets, those spheres of assembly life. And, and, and we, we do so collectively. It's perfectly acceptable to join together. You're at a prayer meeting. You're thinking of the Lord. You're, you're just remembering. Maybe you're testifying of the Lord's grace in your life, what he's done. And it turns into a point where you just start to express praise and thanksgiving. You start, start, start to express his value in your heart or just join together. You almost feel like you should break bread, but that's okay if you don't. It's okay. The, all those things are, are parts of these, these moving parts of this idea of worship. Think about it. When we gather and we remember the Savior, did you know all four of those elements are actually in play at all the same time? When we remember Him and it turns into hearts that adore Him and worship Him in a collective way, we're talking about the Apostles' Doctrine. Absolutely. We're praying, aren't we? We're communion. We're sharing together the Lord Jesus and not just in the little bread and the cup, although that's beautiful. Gotta admit, that's not much of a meal, right? No, no. It's the beauty of, of sharing the spirituality with Him, right? And of course, uh, of course, it's in the breaking of the bread. All those things. Think about a breaking of bread meeting has multiple elements of the spheres of focus in the assembly happening like moving parts all simultaneously. It's one of the most extraordinary events of the Christian life, and we have the privilege of doing so on a regular basis, right? And this is what, what what's involved. Now, there needs to be a collective heart that comes together. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So we, we prepare our heart to remember. There sometimes is repentance. There's necessary conviction, confession, purity, examination of heart. That's all part of it. It should be part of it. And we should understand that we're going to elevate the Lord Jesus by our attitude and words. See, I mentioned to you that there's one way to elevate. One stays still and you lower yourself. But then what if this one begins to echo those things which exalt the other. Now you're elevating by lifting him up, right? So there's two ways. One, you, you make the distance. The other, you use your whole body, your heart, mind, soul, and, and, and words and such to bring him higher, right? Not that he's not higher, but you're doing so by the expression of your soul, you see. And so that's what we're doing when we gather together collectively. We're lowering, and by our expressions, we're elevating. That's the idea. Now, what I want you to see is three different stories. Yes. Oh, it's not on? Oh, that. there we go. I stepped on the wrong cord. There we go. So sorry. So you guys didn't see everything I've been flipping through? All right, all right. Here we go. Here we go, here we go. Okay, there it is. Okay, thank you for pointing that out. I had stepped on the cord and it came out. Okay, so this is where I talked about worshipers, true worshipers, must be worshipped, worshiping God in Revelation, and then pearls of worship that involve service, as I mentioned just briefly. We'll go on to the next one. Pearls of worship here. It involves all facet of the assembly, collectively, preparation, and of course, elevation and lowering. Does that sort of summarize it for us? Okay, apologize. Thank you, brother. Now, I want to go to these three stories, and the first one is in Luke chapter 7. Please turn to Luke chapter 7. We'll begin looking at verse 36, Luke 7, 36. Now, this is a famous passage, and I select it because there's, there's three different historical records of somebody anointing the Lord Jesus with oil. 
There's one at the beginning of his public ministry, and there's two at the end of his public ministry. And I want to use them as they're, because they're connected in that way as illustrations of what we want to bring to the table individually but collectively. That's my emphasis, is our collective worship. Now, uh, the story is uh, really, really familiar. I will uh, tell it and then we'll highlight it. So the story is that the uh, Pharisee, uh, one of the Pharisees, was uh, uh, inviting the Lord Jesus and his team over for a, a, a dinner, for a specific an event. Now, these, um, these particular events were kind of a, like a celebrity showcase event, and it appears that this was probably in Capernaum. The host, his name was Simon, because we get that from the text, and we find out that uh, uh, this particular occasion had an apparent invitation to all of those who were in the public to come and observe. So, as you know the story, and I have some pictures here because I love pictures, what happened was, and I'll read it, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, interesting, Luke put that in there, and she knew that Je- when she knew that Jesus was at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed him, kissed his feet, and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, this is, I just want to discuss the cultural aspect. So, in those days, when you had somebody over for dinner, um, you, and if you're wealthy enough, you could have the entire party in a singular room. And uh, from uh, some historical information, usually the mosaics that they have on the floor are still available on the floor of some of the synagogues and homes in the land of Israel today. You'll actually see an outline of a table. We'll actually go to that site. And you'll, you'll see where Erdesheim gets his statements about how it was a U-shaped table and you'd come in to the end and uh, the servants would come in and serve while you're on the other side of the table and around the perimetry. And so if it was a large room like this, maybe the table was around the perimeter of the room. And it was designed so that the guests would actually be uh, in a position of comfort, of comfort when they dined. Um, it's kind of like taking an airplane ride with first class. You get to lie out flat. And so, so you, you, you kind of put, if this is the table inward towards the, to the center, you would be on the outside of the U-shaped table and you'd kind of have your arm sort of over by the table so you could take and eat and your feet would be out towards the outside of the room, the outside perimeter of the room. So you have this U-shaped table and you have bodies lying uh, perpendicular to each part of the U with the feet towards the wall and the head towards the table. That was the general configuration and, and this picture tends to depict that in some fashion. And uh, what was uh, acceptable was to allow the general public to come in and stand around the walls, around the perimeter of the room, and really just observe. It's kind of like having a chance to dine with the rich and famous, except you didn't dine, right? You just kind of got there and got to breathe the same air. Now, Jesus was a notable rabbi at this point. He's in the north now. People knew him from Jerusalem. He just started his call of his men on the Sea of Galilee, and he's gone through chapter 5, chapter 6 of Luke, lots of miracles, lots of teaching, and now this, ra- this rabbi, this Pharisee, excuse me, calls him over, and it sounds like he's calling him over not because he's interested in the Lord Jesus, 
but he's maybe trying to just showcase the Lord Jesus, maybe trying to look for a point of, of bringing him down. And so I think his heart is very impure. You can get that from the text based on the way he answers the questions the Lord Jesus posed to him. Now, when we get to the upper room, anybody could come in, but obviously there were some social rules. And if really you were sort of an outcast in society, you really shouldn't come. And that was the indignation you'll read in the text. That why, if he knew this woman, she's a sinner, oh my goodness, I can't stand it. But obviously he's not going to make a scene. This is a public event, you see. And so she comes. Now, what she does is she has a tremendous amount of, of uh, some people would call it nerve, but she comes at, because, uh, and specifically plants herself right in behind the very notable rabbi of the whole event. That's awfully nut- nervy, a lot of guts doing that. What kind of audacity anyway? But she does so not because... She's interested in making a statement. She's interested in making an offering. She's interested in making a statement to the Lord Jesus. Not to everybody else. That's why she was there. This is very important. When we come to the Savior and there's everybody's gathered together, we're coming to make a statement to the Lord Jesus. We're not coming because the elders over there are wondering if the young men are going to say anything today. That's not what we're here about. That's not what it's about. We're coming for each of us to make a statement and offering personally to your Savior. Actually, it's to God the Father in appreciation to the Son of God. That's really what happens. So don't get mixed up what we're trying to do, okay? It's very much as a song, I love you for making that song. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. Now, so she comes in this way. She stands at his feet and she, she uh, begins to weep. Now, we have to ask the question, why are you weeping? Right? Maybe the disciples' feet smelled that bad. I don't know. But she's weeping, I think, because she heard the Lord Jesus. I think she had remembered his teaching. Maybe she was there when he taught on the Sea of Galilee when Peter fell down before the Lord and said, Depart from me, I am a sinful man. Maybe she thought she should say the same thing, Depart from me, I am a sinful woman. Maybe she heard the teaching of the Lord Jesus on on some of the parables that he already told. Maybe she was there and her mother was healed of a sickness. Maybe it was she, she was one of the ones who had demons cast out. Whatever it was, she was touched somehow by the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, every one of us that come to gather around the Lord Jesus, we have been touched by the Savior, haven't we? And we never have forgotten that touch, or have you forgotten that touch? There's a man. He was full of leprosy. And he came and begged Jesus Christ to heal him. And the Lord did not speak first. He touched first. Now to a leper with a disease that was taboo, a disease that twisted your facial features and made you lose digits and made your skin look dead. To be touched by human flesh, you'll never forget that. And that's how we should be. Do you remember when you were born again? I remember. At cabin 15B, Massacoe Bible Camp, eight years old. I remember hearing the gospel. I remember being so serious about it. 
I remember going from cabin 15A to cabin 15B and hearing my counselor, Mr. Lon Lynn and James Jacob, talk about how Christ died on the cross for my sins and would you like to receive him? And I said, I certainly do. And I bowed my head on that little bunk and I received Christ as my Savior. I'll never forget it. I went home that night. We had just moved back from Japan and we were staying in a hotel. We hadn't bought a house yet. And, and that night when I got home, I heard noise outside of our apartment. It was right next to a bar. And I was scared and I went over and I woke up my dad and I said, Dad, I hear people outside. And he said, oh, Steve, don't worry. Did you not tell me you were saved this week? I said, I certainly was. He said, did you know that Jesus also protects you? I go, he does? He goes, yeah. Okay. And I went back to bed and I said, sounds good. I actually, I'll never forget it. I scooted over in my bed and I put the pillow out just in case he wanted to lay down. I remember that. You see, I remember when I was touched by my Savior. Do you? Bob Brown. Do you know Bob Brown? He's a dear friend. He's in Slidell, Louisiana, but he talks like he's from Minnesota because he is from Minnesota. And he says this, I got saved and I never got over it. Don't ever get over it. Don't ever get over it. What did the Lord Jesus tell the church of Ephesus to do? Go back to the beginning. Do the works that you did at first. Huh? Never get over it. When we get to heaven, we'll talk about this tomorrow morning. When we get to heaven, we will always be singing, uh, singing about the blood of the Lamb. Right? We'll never get over it. When we'll look at the throne, we'll see the Lamb that was slain. That's a gruesome sight, isn't it? But we'll see that Lamb. Never get over it. If your heart is away from that, that time when you were born again, you go to that closet and you shut the door and you say, I need you to help me remember what it was when you saved me. Oh, it's beautiful. All right. Where was I? Woman. Oh, yeah. So maybe that's what she heard. And she heard the Lord Jesus' teaching and it created an emotional response with her. I love that about the Lord. He's not trying to not have emotions. He very much welcomes him. And she begins to weep. And you know what happens when you weep? Your eyes begin to fill with tears. Now, my wife will say, well, Steve, you never really weep. I do once in a while. You just never see it. And, and my eyes begin to fill up and, and, and you can almost feel the, feel the liquid begin to get so weighted it begins to come down. I'll never forget. I hadn't cried in a while when I first cried, I went, that's what it feels like, you know, and it came down here and it, and, it, and, it, and it hangs right on the jawline, right on the mandibular line. And, and as you're sort of sobbing, it suddenly drips off. And I wondered as she opened her eyes to watch the tear fall and she watched it fall all the way down. And suddenly it landed on a foot, a foot that was covered in dust. And you know what happens when water hits a dusty surface? It makes it chases the dust away. And I think she gasped at that moment. <gasps> because that should never be. And I think in that moment, she was overwhelmed that how could someone so precious be treated with such disrespect that her tears now flowed more? There were enough tears to water She could see the dirt being chased away. She can see it all. She perhaps grabbed his foot, bowed at his feet. 
and those tears rushing, she began to, to, to wash that dirt away and she only had her hair. Now, ladies, in the New Testament, that call, that's called your glory. I mean, we've got to admit, you're glorious. You really are. We admire you. We really do. Right? We see your beautiful appearance, your beautiful hair. That's what it says. And she took her greatest glory and she used it to clean the most disrespectful part of human anatomy. Oh, man, what does that tell you? What do you think we're doing when we individually or collectively come to worship the Savior? It's not about our glory, is it? It's not about me or performance or display. It's not about any of those things. It's about taking what is most glorious and depositing it at the feet of the Savior like we'll do with those 24 elders and we cast our Stephanos, that's our crowns, we'll cast them at His feet. Whatever glory we have is nothing compared to the glory that you deserve and we'll take our glory and we'll gladly submit it to the feet of the Savior. That's what we're doing. And that's what she was doing. And so she, she brings that, comes to that point and then notice this conversation. If this woman knew, where was I at? Oh yeah, let's now look at verse 39. Oh, excuse me. She kissed his feet. The one thing of affection. Though I, if I remember correctly, some of those words are in the imperfect tense, which means she kept kissing and kissing and kissing. I like to say to Gracie, is it time for your thousand kisses? And one night she said, oh, Daddy, I'm awfully tired. I'll take that as a no. <laughs> Just kissed and, and, and rubbed him with her hair and the tears flowed and, 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 and she broke that, that precious flask of fragrant oil. Not on my watch will his feet be like this. And she rubs him. You know what? You ever have your feet rubbed? I'm going, oh my. No one rubs my feet because they stink. But you know, that whole thing and, and anointing them and make what is the dirtiest part of human anatomy into the most precious part of human anatomy. And you know, when you take that fragrant uh, perfume, it just doesn't stay on the feet. It permeates the entire house. I'm sure people 25, 30 feet away say, what's that smell? I don't know. And I can just see a wave of silence go over the room as it gets quieter. You hear, <laughs> and the tears and the oil, and you just and everybody just stands around going, how do I know that? Because Simon noticed. I doubt if he was paying attention to the Savior. He didn't even give him the common respect of the day. But everybody seemed to have stopped, including the the rude host. And notice what the rude host says, verse 39. When, 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 now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, if this man were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, would know who and what manner this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Don't you love that? What an arrogant man doesn't even speak it out. doesn't have the courage to say so. And I, forgive me if you're British, but I think he might have been part British. <laughs> oh, I say! Oh, I can't believe this! What? What kind of prophet is this? If he was anything worth a prophet, he would know what manner and type of woman this is who is touching him. I can't do that acting very long. Right? That was good. That was good. Okay. I'm trying to get it to the caliber I could be in the Clifford movie. You know what I'm saying? 
I, just, I don't think I can. I can't compete. I'm serious. What's that? Oh, I know. I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Please forgive your humble servant. Anyway, back to where we were. And so can you imagine a just sort of arrogant attitude? I can just see him go, oh. Now the Lord Jesus, oh man, he is so, he's such a composed person. He says to him, he says, um, Simon, uh, I have something to ask you. Right? Here, here, read it. Verse 40. Simon, I have, I, I have something to say to you. Please say it. Can you hear? He just had this arrogant attitude. Now the Lord Jesus speaks to him. Do you think the arrogance has gone away? No. And so the Lord Jesus says, well, there's two debtors. One owes 500 denarii, the other 50. Ten times difference in their, in their debt. And they both, very important, both could not pay. And the, and, and the creditor, it says this, freely, that is, without any expectation of return, Forgave them both. You see, the word both is in so, both or is in each part of the equation, and the Lord Jesus is high, highlighting that. He's saying they both couldn't pay; they both were forgiven their debt. Now the Lord Jesus says, Simon, which one do you think would love him more? I can hear Simon. I suppose. The one whom he forgave more. And the Lord Jesus, the rabbi, right? Can you see the dueling here? He goes, well, you've answered correctly. I, I, I can't say this for sure. This is my own imagination. I think in Simon's going, <laughs> is that your best shot, rabbi? Can you hear it? Because that's kind of the way he's acting. I don't think he'd call you. You can't even give me a tough question. And then I love it. Because what we do is we engage with that kind of nonsense. We sort of bicker and pick at each other. We sort of miss the big moment. That's what happens when we can't see the Savior. Don't you hate it when we're trying to do something important and the children are all bickering together, the two youngest ones, and they don't understand the significance of Grandma's funeral? Right? It's kind of, oh. Here, this guy's trying to engage and duel with the Lord Jesus and sort of have my egos bigger than your ego kind of thing. And the Lord Jesus, he has such great composure and he looks at the person that captures the attention of God. The broken, weeping lady. Let me tell you something. There's nothing more precious to the heart of God than a saint that weeps in His presence. Brokenness is His favorite place of residence. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. I use the heavenly bodies as my as celestial bodies as my living room furniture. But let me tell you where I'd rather dwell. I'd rather dwell with a person who has a broken and contrite heart any other day of the week. And if you have a broken and contrite heart here, I'll be with you. That's where I'd rather go. That's my, that's my favorite room of my house, the one who has a broken heart. So you go anywhere you want. You have a broken heart. You have a heart that weeps before me, whether it be over sin, whether it be over uh, your love for me, it doesn't matter. I'm there with you. And right now, Simon, I'm not actually concerned about what you think. I want you to know, do you see this woman? And then it says he looks at her and says to him, it's as if he's communicating uh, physically 
that is, with his eyesight, everything about God to her while he's putting Simon in his rightful place. And he says this. Oh, I've got to <laughs> go forward. This was the slide about the illustration of the denarii. I don't really think it's denarii. I just found it on the Internet. Okay. And he says, tell me which one will love him more. He goes, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Do you see this woman? This is my favorite one. Just grasping the feet of the Savior. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. What are the three most important words in the English language every soul needs to hear? I submit there's two sets of three. I love you. You are forgiven. It's a great gospel message. You bait him with the first and give him the second, right? Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. And so she hears the Lord Jesus, the one that touched her life already, says, oh, her sins. And they are so many. Simon, they are more than you'll know. They're more than you'll ever see. I've seen them all, Simon. I know everyone. I know the hard attitude she had when she divorced her husband. I know what she was doing when she stole that money. I know what she was doing. I know her activity when she slept with those other people. I know everything about her. I know her so well. You don't know anything about her. And trust me, 500 denarii is being nice. That's so many. And I can just see her, almost like he's whispering to her ear, are forgiven. They're forgiven. I can just see her, like the picture, just break out into more tears and grasp onto the Savior's. That's what this is about, isn't it? That's what it's about for the assembly, isn't it? We hear him whisper in our ear. We hear him say, your sins, my children, which are many. I can just hear him say, are forgiven. They are sent away. And every heart should collectively and individually just crumble in His presence and weep. Oh, God, You're so gracious. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, what a beautiful Son. And we just cling to Him in that beautiful, worshipful fashion. That's what it's about. Oh, when will we ever understand that? What he not acknowledges is this. To those who have little, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. What's he saying? This woman understands exactly how much she's been forgiven. The 500 denarii worth of a sinner, Mr. Simon. And therefore, because of her appreciation of her great debt and its forgiveness, she loves much. What's he complimenting? The love that goes into the actions of worship. That's what he's complimenting. You don't love Simon. That's why you don't have, you don't think you were that bad of a guy. That's why you don't think it's such a big deal. She knows she's that bad of a girl. Therefore, she knows it's, that, that much has been forgiven. But let, what God is inferring is, Simon, you've got the wrong valuation of your sin. You're really just like the 500 denarii worth of a sinner. You don't know it. But I want you to know, I'd forgive you too. I'd forgive you too. You just don't want it. But let me tell you, this little girl here, she wants it. And she grasps the weight of her sin. She loves with all her heart. And I love that. I love that expression. That's what he's complimenting here. 
the love that's part of the equation of worship. Oh, saints, out of all the things we do in our Christian life, let's do it in such a way that we just love the Savior. If we could grasp that, I think that would make such a difference. That's true worship, isn't it? That's what it makes up true worship. Not the duty, obligation, fear factor, but I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to do anything else. I just, I just want to tell you something, Lord. I just love you. I just love you. I love you. And I didn't show that yesterday. I didn't think that yesterday. Lord, I was thinking about myself, but oh, you showed me my sin, and I just thank you again that the blood of Christ takes away all my sin. That which I'd ever do yesterday, that which I've ever done today, and that's which I'll ever do tomorrow. You've done something so complete that it transcends all facets of human existence, past, present, and future. Oh God, I thank you. I just can't love you enough. Thank you. And we, like, we in our minds and our hearts grab His feet and we weep at His feet and offer Him what is glorious to us for His comfort and exaltation. Don't you love that? Well, that's exactly what we learn. She took her greatest asset and glory and she gave it to Him. She never stopped wiping His feet. That's in the imperfect tense. Never stopped kissing His feet. That's in the imperfect tense. That means it's ongoing. And she did not let others' indignation, others' feelings towards her, stop her from her worship. So many times we do that. We know that somebody might have an ill feeling towards us and it, it really terrorizes our ability to remember and worship the Lord Jesus. I tell you, we can't let that happen. Notice, notice this love factor. She loved much. She understood the weight of her sin. The Lord Jesus looks. He forgives her. And He's saying, I love her devotion. It means something to me. That's the point of the lesson. The loving heart of the devotion means something to the Savior. It values true worship. He's looking for that. He wants that. Oh, my friends, can we not get past ourselves? I think we have to have that personal adoration, that personal devotion. No sacrifice is too high. No, no indignity. No, no disrespect is too low. It doesn't matter. No posture is, is too great for us. We'll, 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 the ridicule doesn't matter. You're going to church again? can't believe you go to church all the time. Ever hear that? I have. Oh, friends, this is what we need to collectively express. And the only way we can collectively express it is we individually possess it. That's how it works. Gather ourselves out of love or out of duty. Sometimes we consider collectively gathering to worship the Lord Jesus to be a burden. A burden. I think I've told you this before. You've probably heard it in some messages, whether it be on the internet or not, but... One day, we were having a Sunday morning. It was just like the, the Clifford's movie there. And it was bad, man. It was bad. And we are yelling at each other. And, and I, I, in my infinite stupidity, go into my wife where, who's getting ready. And, and I say, about how long do you think you'll be? <laughs> She's having a bad day. I know, yeah, you stupid idiot. She's having a bad day, too. She takes the hairbrush and puts the hairbrush down. You know, what, that, there's this kid's movie out there about when the husband puts the foot down. When the wife puts the hairbrush down, that's bad too. And she goes, I'll be ready when I'm ready, you know, and I didn't like that. And so I'm yelling at the kids. We get in our 15 passenger minivan. 
People are crying. It's carnage everywhere. We're driving. We're going to worship the Lord today, you know. And we're driving up northbound on Quivira. And literally, my wife and I, we're not talking either. We see this couple. They're walking down the street on the sidewalk near the perfectly groomed golf course with a perfectly groomed golden retriever with perfectly prepared coffee from Starbucks. I hate them. And so they're walking down and they're in their pajamas, which were perfect. And they go, here you go, boy. Throw the frisbee. The dog smiles. Brings the frisbee back. You good? Give me your kissy, 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 kissy. And we're going. Janet and I go. You know what we're saying? I'd like to do that. I'd like that. You see, sometimes we would consider gathering ourselves together and preparing our heart a burden. How about if your child said to you, I didn't get you a Christmas gift or birthday gift this year, Mom. It was such a burden. It's too much for me. I couldn't handle it. Oh, that would go well, wouldn't it? Oh, it tells you exactly what the little one feels about, how they feel about you, and how they feel about you as they don't. That's what's wrong. Oh, we need to ask the Lord to change us. Turn to John chapter 12. Oh, man. Lunch might be a little late, sorry. John chapter 12. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love this part of God's Word. Let's, let's read it. It'll be short, I promise. Six days before the Passover. Okay, notice, six days before the Passover. Not two days. The next one will be two days. This is six. Jesus came to Bethany. That's the same place as you'll find in, in the Mark passage. Or Lazarus, that's different. Lazarus, who, has been, who was, had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, first of all, that would be quite an event to be with Lazarus. Like, hey, Lazarus, how did it felt in the grave? I don't know. I didn't feel. Oh, okay. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him, meaning he was alive and eating. Then Mary, I love this Mary. She takes a pound of very costly spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Okay, very similar circumstances. Uh, Lazarus' house, it's in Bethany. It's six days before the Passover. Expensive perfume involved. The Lord Jesus, as is customary to allow a person to care for their their feet, had them cared for him, had his feet cared for by another using this fragrant perfume, laying her glory down, washing him with her hair. Notice the next thing. All right. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, of course it was, Simon's son who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Did you hear that? I, don't know, I just want to smack him. Of course, I don't know he was stealing at this point, but I would want to smack him. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but, but he had an ulterior motive. See, he was a thief and he wanted to have some spending money. It's in the text if you read closely. And had the money, and he held the money box, and he used to take that was put in it. Now notice the Lord Jesus. Let her alone. Let her alone. She has kept this day for the, or she has kept this for the day of my burial. I'll stop right there. So we have this, we have this repercussion. The odor filled the house. Uh, one of the disciples, who was a thief, who was a fraud, 
makes this comment that sounds noble, care for the poor, but really he just wanted to pilfer the box. She continues to anoint his feet, and the Lord Jesus gives her protection from such criticism. Right? He dispends against such misguidance. That's what God does to those who really offer their heart to him. He really provides that protection. But what I want you to see is that she understood. The Lord Jesus says it. She has kept this day, or this for the day of my burial. He is saying, she gets it. I'm not sure you boys get it. In fact, even in the upper room, uh, which was a week later, they're still thinking about the Lord Jesus dying. Oh, Lord, we'll go with you. know, They don't have any idea what the gravity is involved. They, even didn't, they didn't understand the Lord Jesus dying and rise again, even up to the very end. They, they, Peter rebuked him for it, for goodness sake. Remember that? And now, she out of all people, oh no, that's not good. She out of all people comes to the point where she recognizes that this is going to happen. She understands very clearly that the events before her will, will have a total unusual effect. This is important to the heart of God. We need to understand what he's about and what he's doing. We need to get it. We not only need to come with a heart of love for all that he's done and all that he is, we need to understand his plan. We need to understand his ways. We need to understand this thing about sacrifice. We need to understand this thing about mercy. We need to understand this thing about substitution. We need to understand a lot of things. She gets it. This is what the Lord Jesus is honoring. He says, she understands that my burial is right upon us. That's why I'm not going to let you touch her. That's why I'm not going to let you have, have, your, have your say about her activity. I want you to know she is someone who values what's about to happen. Friends, that's what it needs to be with us. We need to value about the Lord. We're, we're not coming because we, 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 we you know, got a bonus for the Christmas paycheck. Yes, that's wonderful. And yes, we want to praise God. But there's something specific we're after today. As an assembly, we come with that mindset. And so I, I personally make it a practice to, to write down devotions of things about the Lord Jesus. I'm reading about Abigail and, and, uh, and Nabal. Do you remember those two? This lovely couple in the Old Testament. He was a jerk and she was beautiful, pleasant. And she saves the jerk's life. David was going to come and execute him, and she brings a present. And then after she brings the present for the thing, because her husband didn't give the right offer or give the right um, uh, honor to the king in waiting, she then gets out on the on the ground, and she, I think she uh, the way it reads is it's like she uncovers her neck and says, "On me, my lord, on me, let this iniquity be." Oh, are you kidding? I'd get rid of that man, little Abby. Time for him to go. And so she says, so he's totally worthless, undeserving, and she gives her, she's ready to give her life for him. Does that sound like anybody you know? Sounds just like my Savior. And I wonder if before the throne of heaven, my Savior, when he offered his blood, said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. Put the cold steel of the sword of God's judgment right here in my jugular, because that's where it needs to be. Huh? That's the kind of understanding we want to have. Make that, right when you're doing your devotion, write those things down. I saw that and I said, oh, Lord, save you. Thank you. That's, that's that. I'm like Nabal and you're like Abigail, the humblest of all people. And you put yourself not only in harm's way, in death's way for me. Oh, how can I not love you? Do you see that? That's what she understood. And that's what we need to understand. All right, forget the slides. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. 
And we'll end with this. I want you to see this. Okay, and I think this is a separate event. You can argue with me about it later, but I'll show you why. They're still in Bethany, but notice they're at the house of Simon, not the house of Lazarus. This is verse 3. The uh, Simon, who was a leper, never talked about leprosy in John 12. And besides, it was six days, and this is two days. As he sat at the table, a woman, unnamed, came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, same perfume. She then broke the flask and poured it on his feet. No, it's his head, right? It says right there, head. So I don't know. I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm just a doctor. But I'm pretty sure the head is not the feet, and the feet are not the head. Huh? Are you with me? Stay with me now. We're almost done. Don't fight those hunger pains, okay? He said, oh, no, no, you need the head. I think it's different. And there were some who were indignant among themselves. Same reaction. It's about four days later now. And, and why wasn't this, fra- why was this fragrant oil wasted? Oh, Judas. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they sharply criticized her. Now that word's criticized is in the imperfect tense. What's the imperfect tense mean? Ongoing. So you ever have somebody that you're hanging around and they're always kind of grinding, you know? You know, you forgot to bring the potato chips. It goes like this. Oh, you forgot to bring the chips? Great. You know, for me, I wouldn't forget to bring the chips. Boy, I sure wish I had some Cheetos. You just kind of keep saying those words, keep grinding it out, you know? Finally, you just want to say, would you shut up already? I mean, we'd probably say it nicer than that. But that's what we mean, right? Yeah. Kept grinding away at her. That's what it means. Kept, oh, I can't believe. Can you believe? You know how we say things. We sort of say it half under our breath, but we mean, you know. Can you believe that? I can't believe that. That's so stupid. What did you say? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, that's what we do, right? This is the word. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you always, for you have the poor with you always, and wherever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She's done what she could. You see the third principle of worship? First principle was love. The second, the second principle was understanding. The third principle is you do what you can. And she obviously understood, but the emphasis in this passage, I believe, is that she was taking whatever she had and she did all that she could do. You know, saints, God loves you to give what you can. If your heart is, is, is a baby's heart and, and your understanding is just, you know, all I know is that God saved me. You know, God loves that. God loves that. There's this little girl, she was around the time of Elisha, and she was a, a captured little servant girl in the house of Naaman, and she only knew one thing. There was a prophet of God in Israel who heals leprosy, and that's all she said, and she changed the entire course of history for Naaman. And sometimes we're like that little girl, and we come in, and all we know is, I've been born again, I'm so grateful for it. And you know what? God loves that. He loves that. And with some of our hearts, they come and maybe you're a studied person and you can quote and requote and unquote and do it again and write it in Greek and translate it in Hebrew and you say, saying, God loves that! But what He loves most of all is the heart that motivates that. She's done what she's good. Why don't we come with that? Oh, I think that would be so precious. When little William brought me the, the packet of Taco Bell sauce, you know that meant the world to me. If I could, I would have framed it in a gold frame. Not because Taco Bell sauce is worth gold, but because he 
He thought about, he gave it, and he did what he could. Oh, thank you. And I love that about Gracie. You know, she's always drawing these drawings for us. And it's mom, it's dad, and it's Gracie. She doesn't think she has any siblings. (laughs) I got them all. They're in my file. I kept them all. And she writes these little notes. I mean, seriously, they're on like toilet tissue. What are you going to do with that? Right? I keep them. Because she produced, it means a lot, because you're expressed, that's what Jesus is saying. Oh, the people of God, me, you, would have this mentality as a collective body. You see what I've been talking about? I haven't talked about form. I haven't talked about how we go about breaking the bread and do we rip it in half or cut it in two and do we take a big bite or a small bite or is a big glass, one cup, three cups, 20 cups, a gazillion. I don't, that's not important. I'll tell you what is important. Loving the Savior, understanding the Savior, and doing what you can. Right? I know probably somebody would say, well, Steve, you know, it just says one cup in the first Corinthians. I, I get it. I get it. I'm not trying to belittle that. But I am saying, let's not miss the forest for the trees. Okay? That's a pretty big thing. Father, thank you for the endurance of the people of God to listen to the Word of God. Thank you that you've given us an opportunity to just think on these things and meditate on them. But, oh, Father, the Spirit of God has so much more work to do in terms of teaching us as we leave, as we depart, as we go through our, the rest of our day, tomorrow, next week, next month. The Spirit of God is going to be, need, needs to be active. I pray you would, you would allow Him to do so. I pray that He would be active. And I pray that our hearts would be responsive. And mine, especially mine, oh God, I'm amazed at how slow and stubborn my heart is. Oh, Father, forgive me. I just pray, give us grace, the grace that is greater than our sin, to live this life, this life of a new creature, a new creation, the vitality and the person of God interweaving himself in every aspect of our soul. In Jesus' name. Oh, and Father, thank you for the food. Thank you for the food you've given us spiritually, but also physically. Thank you for those ladies and men who serve to make it possible, those who prepared it, who are cleaning it up, and those... Just, Lord, thank you for them. Would you bless them, Father, with a blessing that only is special between you and them? I pray in Jesus' name.